Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Anne Lancaster. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org. In this episode, Matt Whitney talks with Andre Van Ziel about art and spiritual companionship. Andre's art, poetry, and prose is highlighted in his article entitled Sacred Companioning by Making Art in the March 2021 issue of Presence Journal. STI's creative team has been hard at work bringing a new version of Presence to the web. Our new enhanced edition features audio and video recordings by artists, authors, and poets, as well as bonus media reviews, all packaged in an easy-to-read format, which can be accessed anytime, anywhere, on any device. To celebrate the launch of this new initiative, SDI is offering the March 2021 issue of Presence to everyone for free. Just go to sdicompanions.org presence to check it out. It's lovely to see you, friend. Yes, it's wonderful to see you. I feel your tenderness and I feel your discomfort and I honor that um, in you. Thank you. I honor your ability to be to be transparent. That's a gift of friendship to do that. It's a gift of trust. Well, that you know that began a couple of years ago in Toronto at the Parliament for the World Religions, which is where I met you. And you were something of an artist in residence there. And you, I sat with you, and you drew my portrait. You drew my face. Probably the most memorable moment of that time for me in Toronto was just being with you and you were speaking it into my heart and naming things as you were drawing. And I still have that drawing. And so there was in that moment, a real sense of connecting spiritual companionship to making art. And you have written this article for Presence for the March issue on this very topic. And I'm so grateful to have it in Presence and to be able to share it with our spiritual companion and community. I want to ask you a few questions about it, if that's okay. Is there anything that you would like to share in this moment right now before we begin? I'm just aware that at the time that I drew you at the Parliament of World Religions, I think one is swept up in the collective vibration of a prevailing consciousness. And one gets the feeling, oh, this is what heaven's like. So this is what heaven's supposed to be. And in that sense of communal communing on a very high plane, it's so easy to see each other as if each other were made of glass. One can see the full contents of our humanness without apology or defense. And the intuition comes that the most secure place in the universe is an utterly undefended heart. And approaching you and drawing your portrait, I've felt that communing. And to write for Presence magazine, is a very humbling gift to me 
So I come at this with no specific training beyond my own journey. But art is a wound you don't ask for. It is given to you at birth. And it is the wound of being sensitive to things beyond the obvious. It is a wound of being sensitive to life in a way that makes you weep at a tree, seeing the beauty of God displayed. There's a way of meeting the world as if the world were one's own body. Nothing, no one is a stranger. Everything belongs. And this weeping wound of art that we're gifted with when we're born can only be cured by making art. And what is making art? Making art is allowing one's faculties to become the expressive means by which the active enlivening force of life can come through one to touch others in a space of mutual vulnerability where the celebration of each other's sacred dignity can be celebrated, can be embraced together with all that is human in us. So I, I really feel that all of us are artists. I was very fortunate as a young man to be considered worthy enough to receive a letter from one of the foremost artists in the world, Joseph Boyce, who was a performance artist, and he turned everything into ritual, shamanic ritual. And his point of view was, everyone is an artist to the degree that you shape thoughts to give expression, to the degree that those thoughts and expressions affect the fabric of our society, to that extent, we are all social sculptors. Through our words and actions and our consciousness, we are sculpting the world into the shape that we wish it to be. But we can only do that vibrating at our highest and aspiring to express our highest through the slowness of our physicality, through the hesitancy of our humanness, through the unknowability of that which we adore, of that which we serve, of that which is our highest yearning. Each of us is an artist trying to make sense out of the chaos of the continual waves that life thrusts upon us. That's a long answer to a short question. Thank you. Ray. What a gift to have correspondence with Joseph Boyce. He was a very formative. I mean, I haven't only read of him and studied his work, but his statement that everyone is an artist in the way I was an art teacher for several years before I came to SDI and his method of, of teaching, which is, you know, to gather materials and tree branches and lard and things and like put them into a space and say like, what do you make of this? Without needing to like didactically push his own meanings onto others, but being like, the meaning of it is for you to come with. That I always taught that way. You know, I would show artists and artwork and I would ask the students, what, what do you make of this? And I don't want you to try to decode what the artist was trying to mean with it. I want you to bring your own sense of experience and 
your own ways of knowing to it and to use those as the ground by which you are engaging with the artwork. Absolutely. I echo your approach to teaching. I've always felt that teaching is more about drawing forth what is already within each person rather than imposing anything onto them. Because each of us is a reservoir of infinite creativity. And all we need is a little bit of encouragement to draw that forth. So I was taking some of my art students on a tour of a Francis Bacon show in Los Angeles. And we got to one painting, which was the painting of what in Dutch is Van Gogh in American Van Gogh. And I started trying to speak about this painting and I found I couldn't get the words out because I was just weeping with the beauty of this painting and I, I just couldn't say anything. And I think art should move us that way. It should stir us out of the complacency of our habits, the complacency of our settledness. I think we need to be unsettled. We need to take each moment as a gift, knowing that human life, according to the Buddhists, is as secure as a water bead on a lotus leaf, ever ready to roll off the edge and merge itself into the vast ocean of being. So... I think when we tend people as spiritual companions, we're walking with them, allowing the native genius of their own spirit to emerge, to speak to them, through them. And we're just there encouraging that process, inviting that process to come forth, giving them a sense of safety and meeting themselves. And again, going back to the theme which seems to be emerging out of our conversation is reflective of the depth, the honesty, and the integrity into which we meet every aspect of ourselves, the never-to-be-complete self, the never-to-be-improved self. So are we more able to meet others more authentically? It's not about saving anyone. It's not about rescuing anyone. It's not about teaching anyone. Because divinity is embedded within each cell. There's enough divinity within each of us to teach us what we need to know, to tell us what we need to do. So it's not up to us as spiritual companions to do any of that. It's much like approaching a blank canvas. Sometimes it's better to muddy a canvas up so that you get over the stage fright of having to perform. I know that feeling. Yeah. Sometimes in drawings, I'll put creases in the paper before I begin because uh, the pure the pure paper is just too threatening. It's too, <laughs> too precious. Too perfect. It's going to meet me halfway. Exactly. Exactly. I need a flawed surface to begin. Yeah. You speak to this experience of being with the Van Gogh and the Francis Bacon works, and I can relate to it. There's a way of and you write about this in your article, in bringing oneself into a contemplative posture before engaging with an artwork. And so getting out of the ordinary busy mind, but moving into that deeper place, connecting to soul, and then engaging with the work. And I find this happens for me with 
abstract expressionist painting and minimalist sculpture. And I know this experience. I love going to museums and sitting in front of giant abstract expressionist canvases, Helen Frankenthaler and Mark Rothko and Barnett Newman and all the New York painters of the time and just being with a painting for sometimes an hour, like just sitting on a bench in front of that canvas and just being with it. You can't decode those paintings, you know? I mean, you can try, but you're not gonna get very far. It is a wordless space that one enters into. Though sometimes I will, I will get up and get close to the canvas and start looking for things. I don't wanna call them flaws, but I, I start looking for the artist's hand. And, you know, I'll find things like, you know, little pencil marks or, you know, little that the artist used as guides or I'll look to the side of the canvas and see staple, you know, staples or nails or however the artist mounted the canvas to that. And it, you know, we're speaking about the flaw, you know, the crease in the paper and the page. And I'm able to connect with the artist when I find those things. And then there, there is a relationship and there is a sense of companionship that the artwork becomes this sort of conduit through which I am now in dialogue with the artist and experiencing something of that vulnerable, open heart that is the safe, secure place as you it. That if I have that and I'm with the artwork and then I can see that the artist who made this also had that and I am witnessing it right now as I am being with the artwork, it's this really magical relationship that happens but if we fly through the museum and we just sort of like snap a photo of it or try to like read the card next to the painting that has all the information you need to know about it, it doesn't happen. I once um, had to accompany a, a senior monk, the dental monk, through the Louvre. And I can't tell you how shocked I was. He walked at a very rapid pace and didn't once pause at anything. And we were out of that museum in about three hours. And I was shocked because I couldn't not tear myself away hmm. from certain things that I was witnessing. And I couldn't believe his way of just being in there. So I had to try and translate his response much later. And I think he did it from the point of view of kind of compressing the creative history of mankind into one kind of blur in order to absorb it as a generality rather than getting hung up with the particularities. But I think it is the particularity of each piece that calls to one. And the moments of connection where one can see the uncertainty in the hand of the artist, or one can see the fumbling or the reaching out or the searching in the artist's hand that provide that sort of handhold in the cliff of meaning to hold on to, to reach for the next handle, to reach for more meaning. And I think approaching an artwork is much like approaching a person. When you first meet a person, you meet the totality of the person. And only later do you start looking at the detail and noticing they've got a large nose or they've got a hair sticking out of their eyebrow that's too long. So 
one has a visceral response to the whole piece before one then starts looking at the detail and entering into dialogue with the detail. One of the artists that really inspire me a lot is Gerard Richter. His ability to do those huge abstract paintings and then also attend to the mystery of the human form in a way that almost creates two versions of himself, which I think are completely complementary. And I love that complementarity between the depiction of a certain kind of realism and then an absolute abstract expressionistic experience. Have you ever seen Netsukis? No. They're small objects, usually depictions of animals in nature, uh, sometimes people carved in, in ivory. And they're very tiny, but they're so exquisite. To see those tiny objects is to see how exquisitely the Japanese culture compresses the essence into the briefest of expressions. And one has a very Zen experience being in the presence of something like that. So I think to approach one's ordinary life with the same reverence and awe that one approaches the extraordinary culmination of expression called art, I think is an art in itself. If there is any other art that is important, it is the art of learning how to manage one's thoughts and feelings, uh, one's reactivity, one's moods. In other words, calibrating the internal landscape of one's being to the point where one can live comfortably within that inner menagerie and not be alarmed by strange creatures surfacing here and there and welcoming everything within oneself as part of the, the gift, of the gift of simply breathing. I think if one carries that reverence towards oneself in a deeply humble way, one can offer that to others. One of my bumper stickers is don't take yourself personally. I think that's a very real bit of advice for me to take because I think <laughs> I certainly sometimes take myself far too seriously and then do the opposite thing, which is play the clown, which does me a disservice as well. So. It's an interesting ride being in this body, in this mind, and allowing it to be wielded for the divine's purpose and not simply for one's own purpose. I think that's the journey. Reverend Andre Van Ziel is a co-founder and co-director of All Paths Divinity School, an online interfaith seminary promoting and nurturing sacred community through the arts. He is a spiritually inspired, award-winning artist, poet, published author, and non-dual philosophy teacher. Andre is also the founder and director of Van Ziel Art and Design Studios. You spoke about being an artist as a wound. And I, I know that feeling very well. 
I've had many an occasion in the studio where I'm like, why didn't I just make comic books? Why can't I just have done commercial art or something simple, you know, like draw superheroes and action figures. I mean, you know, deep down, you have no choice. The work is, it does, it just sort of haunts you. And the being in relationship with the studio practice, it can be a really draining exercise and it just draws a lot out of you. And, you know, you're also naming that it's part of being human and that, you know, engaging whether, yes, we are all artists and we all have like these deep creative capacities. And I, I know that for a fact, but there are people who kind of feel that call to be visual artists and they dedicate their lives to working that out in medium. But that sense of wounding, I think that's available to all of us too, especially in the vehicle of arts, that whether we make it or we engage with it, there is a universal quality that we can connect with. I hear you explaining that really in a very clear way. I'm just working on a, a large commission one of the largest commissions that I've done, 10 foot by five and a half feet. And my client is very specific about the kind of imagery he wants. And I come to it with such resistance and I struggle with simply being a hand for someone else's eye. And I want to express myself more, but I'm kind of held back by the client's expectations. So... I have to find a different way of being authentic in my expression. So that's been a real struggle for me. So I think making art calls upon all one's frailties, highlights all one's frailties, and there's a real inner resistance to being available to this impetus, which is always crying to be let out. There's a pressure from within, and I, I call it expression. And it's life wanting to express itself through us. And when we don't do that, we turn that energy backwards and we deny ourselves the life that we're actually meant to live. So I think all of us have that feeling that life is calling us to a particular moment of meeting our vulnerabilities as humans and also at the same time meeting the highest expression of divinity that we can aspire to. And I think the confluence of those two energies melding is really the definition of spiritual maturity. The human not resisting the divine and the divine becoming quite ordinary. Not ordinary because it is ordinary, but ordinary in the sense of it's a daily event. It's a momentary event. I was writing to someone recently and she was just expressing delight at us connecting, saying that all God's creatures discover each other. And she used a phrase which I really enjoyed, which was, she said, it is a delight to know that we are woven. And I love that idea that once you meet someone at that level, that now you are woven together. And I think that's beloved community that we aspire to, the sense of being woven together. I delight in us being able to explore this idea of art because each of us experiences journey in a very intimate way. But at the same time, I know that we also share this sense of worthiness in our spiritual journeys. And 
I can only say or repeat one of the titles of my drawings, which is Light Seeks Light. And there's no deeper delight than to see the light in each other. Yeah. This is why I love my job, which is to be an artist working for a nonprofit that advocates for spiritual companionship, because I see this connection and the similarities really clearly. And you see these similarities really clearly how we are, you know, whether it's through an art object or through a, a spiritual direction session, you know, we are bringing our human experiences, we're opening our hearts to what is and we are experiencing the divinity and the ordinariness of the moment and our bodies and the relationship as you named it. I think poetry does that really well too, right? Poetry is able to name and open up for us that sense of divinity and the ordinary and also the wovenness as you spoke of it. That my personal experience of being human is not mine, it's shared in a companioning relationship I think that helps us discern on like whether it's meaningful and true is the sense that it is a shared experience that we are interconnected. My joys and my struggles and my sufferings and my wound is the wound of us all. I think it was Degas who said that the little bit of dissatisfaction at the end of a painting is the seed for the next painting. I think each moment of being human leaves a slight grain of dissatisfaction, which is the birthing of a new moment, which is the birthing of a new striving to reach that point of satisfaction that is the creation of the painting of our lives. And each painting, I suppose, is emblematic of the struggle of moving from the unknown to an increasing familiarity and being comfortable with that unknown. Because I think on a certain level, nothing can be really known except in the way that you embody it, in the way that you understand it on a cellular level. And in a sense, life is always stretching us to be more accurate in discerning the grace of spirit in the least promising of moments. I think that's really the struggle that each of us has. But even through that struggle and that seemingly impossible climb up a mountain, there's a beautiful image that my teacher gave me. He said to me, why are you so concerned about this? Do you not know that you have the bliss mountain inside you? Discover that mountain. So life has become that walk towards an inner bliss mountain that one never was really ever removed from. But this wonderful way of being human always draws us back to the reality of our senses. And it is through our senses that we delight in the aesthetic bliss of union with a a work of art, which lifts us out of the distraction of our vulnerabilities and insufficiencies as humans. But in a way, it is only through those insufficiencies and through the wound of being human that we're even compelled to try to express a deeper belonging, a deeper expression of yearning. I would love for you to read your poem, I Am Holy Ground, which you share in your article. And 
you're not just sharing it, but you're inviting the reader into contemplative practice. And I would love for you to do the same, but here over this call. I am holy ground. I am the holy ground upon which I walk. I am the burning bush which lights the desert way. I am the rock from which living water springs. O oh Lord, tap me with your rod of unswerving love. O oh Lord, lay me bare like a flayed, splayed frog, so that without anything to call my own, I am wholly cleansed in the unutterable beauty of thy presence. In the ongoing incantation, thy name burning on my brow, you slay me, free me, divide me into all the quarters of the sky's broad sweeping fullness. And that's not the whole poem, but that beginning of the poem. The poem continues throughout the article as a kind of syncopated rhythm yeah. of remembering. Yes, a remembering. That's so well put. And it's something that came up for me as you were sharing about this connecting to the enlightenment or samadhi or whatever, the mountaintop, the mountain of bliss that it's within us and it's always with us. We just recall it. We remember it. We sort of lose ourselves in pretending that we're a cork bobbing on the surface of life going up when it's up and going down when it's down, instead of remembering that we are the whole ocean depth and the ripples of the surface self, or as some Christians call it, the false self, are really distractions on a certain level because the real self lies quite beyond yet inclusive of that in the same way that the ocean cannot be defined by the waves on its surface. So, we in our true selves cannot be defined by the waves on the surface of our lives. So I think that remembering or remembering, re-putting together is what we are called to do in our individual capacities. And as we do that with more deep experience of what that means, the more available we become to serve the spiritual needs of others. But I think that element of deep respect, the autonomy of each person's experience and the autonomy of their spiritual sovereignty allows one to attend compassionately to the human experience of others in a way that is honoring, in a way that is tenderly receptive, without judgment, without wanting anything to be different. I think it's this human thing in us wants things to be different than they are. But it's this deep spiritual understanding that allows us to embrace whatever's happening, no matter what its flavor, in a way that doesn't really disturb the deeper current of our being. We see the ripple, we see it coming, we know that it's going to be going, and we observe all these changes from a place of changelessness. How can we see change anyway, except on the vantage point of changelessness? There's something within us which is God-shaped that allows us to know this with more and more certainty as we embody more and more 
the truth that we are one, truth that your pain, your agony, your journey is my journey, that my joy, my delight, my struggle is our mutual struggle. So I think spiritual companioning is such a beautiful way of being with others that takes nothing away from each of our own human journey, but rather allows us to feel that we're in community where we don't have to feel alone, where we can experience not being alone. So the internal companionship of spirit becomes then expressed outwardly as the companionship of art, as the companionship of beauty, of the companionship of friendship, of the companionship even of woundedness. And in this deep and beautiful way, we understand that we are woven. We are woven with life's deepest purpose, with life's deepest yearning, with life's deepest vulnerability. I often say to myself, were that I was a feather, vulnerable to the least breath from God, that I may know that presence, my loneliest moments, the deepest suffering of self-denying, that I may know that the breath of God breathes me to being each moment. The breath of God gifts me with creativity to express and delight in the struggle of being human and not to deny my pain, my loneliness, my awkwardness, my insufficiency. My insufficiencies then become my constant invitation to dive deeper, to stay longer in that holy space so that I can bring, like a diver brings pearls from the depths, I can bring those pearls into the light to gift my human experience, to gift my human journey. And in that gifting, gift everyone. So I think on a certain level, best gift we can give humanity is the remembering of ourselves, the regathering of our separate parts in a compassionate whole that doesn't deny anything, that doesn't hide anything, so that we find ourselves self-forgiven, being human, for being a struggling, seemingly small creature. But when you learn to see with the eyes of God, and you learn to feel the heart of God, then the arrogance of thinking oneself separate fades away. It sounds like I speak as someone who has arrived somewhere, but I know that I have not arrived anywhere because I never left. <laughs> my origin, and that perhaps being human is just slightly forgetting that every now and then. And then the pain of being human forces us back to remembering. So much like a painting, I resist the effort that is required in the beginning to get something down on that canvas I can begin to have some kind of conversation with. It's really fascinating for me, this continual breathing in and breathing out. We breathe in divinity in order to bless our humanity. And there's a, a school of thought which says that there are two poles to our beingness 
and one is the pole of absolute unity, which is completely unknowable, and the other is the pole of our absolute humanity. And this journey of the constant flowing upwards of the human to the divine, the constant flowing of the divine down into the human experience is what we call life. And to the degree that we're able to gather the energies of the divine to infuse the human experience with remembrance, with the understanding of an inviolate belonging, I think that gives us, or certainly gives me, the courage to get out of bed every morning. Because I think it's easy to lose hope in times as dark as these. But then I remember that every time there was a human on earth, there were always times such as these. But it seems we are called to a much higher expression of our innate divinity, calling us to more perfect remembrance of why we are in these bodies, why we have these expressive capabilities, and why we have this yearning to belong. I delight in there being no distance between us, Matt, because you remind me that friendship is deeper than Hallmark cards. You remind me of the nobility of the struggle to be more perfectly human. You remind me of the, the joy of being simple, the joy of being quiet, joy of being alone, because in that knowing can never really be alone because we are woven. <laughs> We are woven and we mirror each other. And listening to you and speaking with you today, I feel mirrored. And I'm just really grateful for the space to be together, to be woven and to share in our humanity and our wounds. And just really grateful to you, Andre, my friend and companion, for sharing with us something of your life, something of your the wounding and your presence and your spirit. I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Registrations for SDI Renaissance 2021 are now open. Everyone is welcome to attend and be nourished by this conference. Go to sdicompanions.org for the details and registration options. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org.